I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm super lucky to be joined now in the studio by Scott Beerbrier, who's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Very Apt. Scott, thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's great to be here and wonderful intro song for that. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Tatiana is very good at that. She can whip that up in like 15 seconds. <laughs> yes, thank you, Tatiana. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to point our listeners to your website. It's veryapt.com. All right, Scott, give us the elevator pitch for Very Apt. Sure. Very apt is an apartment marketplace that allows renters to search, schedule, and sign an apartment all on one platform. When we built Very Apt, what we really wanted to solve was trust in the process. So when lots of people think about the apartment search, they think about bait and switch, and they think about scams, and they really are not sure what they're getting into when they're moving to a new apartment. So everything that differentiates our site is really focused on building up that trust and then getting the renter to the point where they can really enjoy thinking about their new home. So what that means is a renter is greeted with an onboarding experience on the site that's really conversational, helping them understand what they're looking for. So not just is it a two-bedroom, two-bath, but also will it have lots of sunlight? Is it going to be close to bars and restaurants or grocery stores, or would they prefer something really quiet? And our goal is to optimize that search, so provide a list of 30 recommendations, of which most likely you'll pick three or four from the you know, top five to 10, let's say. And then from there, uh, we have tons of user-generated content, so reviews on properties as well as proprietary data points, uh, things that are close to a property, mainly what a property won't tell you, and that's to really solve this additional trust point and to get people to understand that the property that's recommended to them is really unbiased and is really a good fit for them. From there, they schedule their appointments, and functionally, we built out an entire operations ecosystem. So we actually have licensed folks who are full-time, salaried, not commission-driven in every market that we focus on, and that's really designed so that they can schedule all your, all your viewings, verify all the availability, highlight any concessions that might be there, and when it gets time to lease signing, they can answer any questions you have and actually facilitate any paperwork. And that's, again, to really make sure that our renters understand that any viewing they schedule will get done, is real, and they can trust someone on the other side. And ultimately, we put all of those three components together to make an experience that is end-to-end, that's trustworthy, and gets people really thinking about how they're going to enjoy their next apartment and how they're going to discover something that they never thought about before, rather than really making it a stressful process. Mm -hmm. So there are hundreds of of websites that will help, allegedly will help you find an apartment. And I I actually looked for one recently in San Francisco, well, about two years ago, looked for an apartment. And, you know, there are pretty good tools out there these days in, in most markets, including, of course, the big players like Zillow and Redfin and that sort of thing. So what what in essence is really the big differentiator and what are people what's what are the biggest pain points for people with those existing solutions? So I think there's really two types of incumbents. Mm-hmm. And one is going to be the online channels and one is going to be the traditional local mm-hmm. local brokers. Mm-hmm. And really, the online channels are very good at marketing, mm-hmm. and the local brokers are good at developing relationships and getting inventory. And unfortunately, the way things have evolved, people don't really trust either side. Mm-hmm. They think the local broker is going to push them to the highest commission property, 
and often they will. Mm -hmm. And online channels are entirely incentivized to keep up stale inventory, put up as many listings as possible, and grow traffic. Yeah. And their relationship is either typically with a brokerage and just selling them leads, uh, or it's sometimes with properties, in which case they will surface the best property um, in terms of who's paying them the most, not who's perfect for the renter. What we do is really focus on what is best for the renter and best for the property. Mm -hmm. So our onboarding is about how do we make the perfect recommendation, mm -hmm. not how do we send the most traffic to the property that's paying us the most. And once you actually submit an inquiry on our site, you are connected to someone instantly. So you're not going to submit an inquiry to a property and not hear back for two days. And that's one of the huge pain points that you don't see when you're just testing out sites. Yeah. If you want to schedule an appointment, you might have to be on the phone for 20 minutes and you're a working professional and you don't have time to do that across 20 different properties. Yeah. And so that's where we take a bit of the more traditional brokerage side, inject some tech to it and make it that we can actually handle that part of the process as well. Mm -hmm. So on the front end, it's about making recommendations that are really relevant. And on the back end, it's about facilitating the entire showing and scheduling process and making it seamless. And if you use only online channels, you might actually not get responses to anything you inquire about. And if you use only traditional offline channels, you might get pushed to properties that really aren't good fits for you. And that's a bet that a lot of local agents will just make on the expected value of a you know, high-end move-in versus wasting their time on what might be a good fit. Yeah. So the reason those those two types of incumbents have the deficiency, deficiencies they do is because of their business model, right? I mean, the way they make money drives them to behave a certain way. So tell us how you make money. So we make money on a per-move-in basis. Uh, we actually started as a subscription platform, mm -hmm. um, and we initially did not have that back-end component, the operational side mm -hmm. where we were handling the traffic. And mainly when we started, what we found was the, the same problem that I, I mentioned on a lot of the online yeah. players. If a property pays you subscription, on one hand, it's wonderful. You get upfront cash. You have money to play with for the next year on that subscription to handle your marketing dollars. On the other hand, you have this interesting problem of sending them enough traffic, but not too much. And once you send them enough traffic, as you start, start thinking about incremental visitors, um, you're almost disincentivized to send a user to the right property. Yeah. And while we continued to make sure that our platform did send people the right property, we realized that that was not sustainable. So focusing on the per move-in model and optimizing our conversion funnel instead really was in the right interest of the properties, not sending them a lot of traffic mm -hmm. that was irrelevant, and for the renters and mm -hmm. making sure that we're incentivized that they see a property that is correct for them and also in an efficient time manner. Yeah. So it's literally if the deal closes and the lease is signed, somebody moves in, that's when everybody gets paid. Correct. And, and it's the property owner who pays you for that. That's correct. And do they just give us a sense, I mean you're probably not gonna tell us exactly, but but in a in a traditional broker driven transaction, it's something like a month's rent. I mean it's a fairly sub substantial fee. Uh, what does it look like in, in your world? Yeah, yeah, so it depends on the market. Mm -hmm. So actually, if you were to look at markets, something like Philadelphia for an agent would be half a month. Something a month. like New York could be one to two months. Yeah. Chicago could be one to two months. Yeah. Uh, Washington, D.C., actually, it's very small. And some markets actually don't have a broker ecosystem at all. Yeah. So our job is really to find out in each market that we work how to best work with mm -hmm. the properties. Mm -hmm. And our pitch to them 
is typically that they will spend less time with our customers because they're more likely to move in, they're more engaged in the mm-hmm. process, and they've learned about the property. And as a result, we should be getting paid something closer to a real estate agent. Yeah. But we understand that in some markets, they're probably a bit greedy, and we shouldn't take that much. And we understand probably in some markets, they've been pushed out by mm-hmm. online players, but people want a higher touch experience. So we generally gap somewhere between traditional online marketing channels and real estate agents, and yeah. that's where we generally fall. And it varies by market, and yeah. I can spend an hour talking about right. but, different but market it's, pricing. But just to be clear, it's a it's a relatively high dollar uh, transaction. Correct. Yeah. Our yeah. customer value is very high, yeah. and that's why we're able to commit so much time right. to a customer. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, where where did the idea come from? So let me just say, if I if I believe, can believe your bio, uh, you're Wharton grad. 2014, but you never took my class, right? I did not take your class. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I did not plan on going into the world of startups. I was more of a retail person. I interned at Urban Outfitters. Oh, wow. Uh, so so my... give us the whole story. So, sure. Yeah. So um, the idea came from my co-founder, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be that clever as we sort of talk no, about where right. he worked and, and where I worked before. Um, but he handled uh, paid and organic acquisition at TripAdvisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to Wharton and getting my MBA, I worked at a hedge fund called Glenview Capital, mm-hmm. and I covered consumer and online travel. And TripAdvisor was one of the companies I oh. covered as it spun out from Expedia. Yeah. So Ashrith, uh, who's my co-founder, mm-hmm. and myself uh, shared a lot of stories about what we thought about the TripAdvisor model and what things we loved about it. And as we thought about the experience on apartments that we thought was really broken, mm-hmm. Our thought was the TripAdvisor model would work very well for that. Mm-hmm. And our view versus, I think, a lot of other startups has been that the problem in the space is about data transparency and content um, rather than making a better overlay for Craigslist. So the business itself started as a TripAdvisor for apartments. That's what we grew the business as initially. As I mentioned, our initial subscription um, revenue model is what pushed us to add the back-end operations component, was mainly the, the TripAdvisor model is you read a lot of reviews, you mm-hmm. understand the content, you mm-hmm. therefore convert better. Yeah. And the issue we run into is that properties are not all as good as you know Expedia, Priceline, Booking.com, mm-hmm. which would have a much more consistent conversion funnel. And at some point, to your point, as you were saying, with, with a high customer value, we just asked ourselves, this is something we can handle in-house it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be tedious and we're going to have to learn all the administrative and bureaucratic components to it. But when we did the math and we tested it out first in Philadelphia and now we've launched in other markets, uh, everything worked out. And not only do you get paid more, but your conversion rates downstream go up. And while all of those were, you know, marketing and business words, which are, you know, not particularly emotional, it all really translates to a better product experience. Mm -hmm. We get to actually help a customer through an entire funnel in a process that they used to feel helpless on, right. and that actually works well from a revenue model. Yeah. Now, uh, for for it to work, it strikes me that this content that you have um, is going to be mostly relevant to multi-unit properties, right? Because if you're in a, a big apartment building, might have a few hundred units. There are going to be a lot of people who live there or have lived there. As something, a, you know, a, a triple decker. Uh, with three units may not. So so are you biased towards a particular kind of property? Is there a kind of property that works particularly well for very apt? I would yeah. say in general, it is what we would call institutional property. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, large multifamily properties 
provide us with lots of inventory. It allows us to show five units in a building at once, and mm-hmm. it allows us to optimize across a lot of units mm-hmm. at once. When it comes to brownstone single unit, three unit inventory, typically if it's managed by a property manager that is handling 200 to 300 units, if they have live feeds, if we have feedback from tenants on that property manager, if we've had folks go into the units, check it out, provide mm-hmm. us feedback after each showing, it ends up being a similar experience. Yeah. It just those units don't turn as frequently, yeah. and we don't have as much institutional data. So we certainly move people into those units. But in the current market, a lot of the better deals are actually on the you know sort of newer large properties, yeah. and you know when better deals are to be had on the brownstones, all things being consistent, that tends to be where people move in. Yeah. Well, you mentioned inventory and data feeds. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what kind of integrations required with the property owner and and did you start having their integration or not? I mean, in other words, um, well, I think you get my question. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, so I would say integrations with properties varies from pretty sophisticated. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of really commonly used systems you'll hear, you know, Entrada or Yardi or Rent Cafe, things like that, which have very straightforward APIs and integrations. And that is one of the reasons why you can quickly sign up large multifamily properties. Now, when it comes to the rest of the inventory, things vary from people using spreadsheets to people sending you PDFs to all of these variations. Yeah. And a large part of the tech which we typically don't talk with people about because it doesn't sound super interesting, is how we convert that into usable data. So Mm -hmm. we've had to make different processing programs to take PDF data and convert it into feeds and make sure that we can be friendly to the 100 different types of ways we get data from properties. And a lot of the actual rollout in the market is focused on growing that supply, making sure people work with us. And if they don't have a tool, we actually provide them internal tools Mm -hmm. to get that data. Because while you're right, a lot of the inventory is going to be multifamily, you know, large properties. We want to make sure that we're also surfacing, you know, diamonds in the rough and different gems they wouldn't find. So, you know, getting these, you know, 20 to 30 unit property managers on the platform, updating the inventory and, you know, understanding how the platform works is very important. So actually, a lot of our tech infrastructure goes towards those back-end tools rather towards you know more traditional front-end mm-hmm. things, making mm-hmm. the site pretty, et cetera. Yeah. Scott, you mentioned uh, testing, the concept. And I wonder if you could take us back to the beginning and tell us how you validated this opportunity. You're both pretty analytical guys, you and your co-founder. So I'm guessing you didn't just jump in. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, I would say that you know one of the most important things we did do was to simply launch the site. And actually, we had first entered the Wharton Business Plan competition back our first year, Mm -hmm. and we didn't place anywhere. We were sort of immediately removed. And, you know, a lot of the feedback was you couldn't build this platform for a certain cost. You guys don't have the know-how. So it was a good motivator to just launch the site. Yeah. Um, A bit as a, you know, F you to the judges. Um, You said we couldn't do it for that cost. That was before I took over. Exactly. That was was the core problem. (laughs) Right. Um, But it was a good motivating factor because for us, the first question is, will people use the site? Will they find reviews helpful? Will they spend a lot of time on the Mm -hmm. site? And can we assess that? And actually, over the summer, as I was interning at Urban Outfitters, I could start to see the traffic picking up and people using the site. And, you know, after we had that sort of initial spark that things were working, our view was we did want to get revenue as soon as possible. 
Uh, I know lots of people will try to put off revenue, and for certain businesses, that makes a lot of sense. For ours, the core issue that many people run into is not monetizing their traf- traffic properly. And as I mentioned, the you know pain points of a lot of existing infrastructure is that they never figured out how to monetize it early, and then they just have lots of traffic and don't know where to send it and send it to brokers who um, some are good, but many are not good. Yeah. Um, so for us, we had the site. We actually went to local folks in Philadelphia. So anyone who's you know gone to Wharton or lived here would know the names like Alan Dom, who yeah. was the first person we actually sold a subscription to. Wow. Um, so very appreciative of that. Uh, Dranoff Properties was another wow. really early yeah. one. And it was a nice advantage being in Philadelphia because I think people gave us a chance that we wouldn't get in other cities yeah. where it's maybe a bit more hyper-competitive. And I think people's respect for Wharton runs really high here. So yeah. that helped. Um, so we sold subscriptions. Um, and from there, we felt really good. We started testing marketing. And we continued to sell subscriptions and make sure that the metrics grew. And the initial validation was really off of those things. Would people pay us? Uh, would someone use the site? And then we'll figure out the rest from there. And that's that's really the, the early stages. Uh, not super analytical, more binary. Yeah. Do we get paid? Do people use it? Yeah, but but uh, maybe not analytical, but but facts driven. Correct. Yeah. So that's that's even better. That's even better than theory. And we know they're the two biggest questions anyone would ask us about the business because mm-hmm. a lot of people are always cagey. You know, Craigslist is free, right. and there's lots of resources. And ultimately, whenever anyone says anything about a space being crowded or anything, we have traffic and it's growing, and people love the site. So, you know, I can have blinders to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you said something really interesting, which is that Philly was actually a good market to start in. And I think I think that's a that's a nice lesson worth underscoring. It's like, you know, if you want to if you want to start a restaurant, maybe Manhattan isn't your best place to start. Or if you want to start, you know, you want to go into the real estate business, maybe San Francisco would not be your first choice. You know, sort of finding a place that's a little more forgiving to a new entrant. Uh, is I think a, a fact, an, a point worth underscoring. So I'm just going to call attention to that. But but I do want to ask: um, Philly is not a hotbed for it's not the it, it, it's a good place. It's not the best place to be an entrepreneur in terms of the ecosystem for fundraising. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the money question and about uh, raising capital. Yeah, sure. We have traditionally raised money from angel investors, micro VCs, and mm-hmm. sort of larger funds. Uh, mainly in New York, San Francisco, and Boston. Mm-hmm. The Boston ecosystem mainly being from a group of online travel folks who really understand uh, what we're doing. Yeah. And then the San Francisco and New York people, mainly those who understand real estate really well yeah. or have had previous exits in real estate tech uh, and a lot of those connections through the uh, Wharton community. Yeah. Um, while Philadelphia is not the best place to raise capital, um, that being said, our initial angel round was led by the startup uh, PHL Angel Fund, which oh, great. Josh yeah. Koppelman handled at the time. Yeah. Um, I would say it's a wonderful market to run a business, mm-hmm. uh, and there's tons of talent here. Mm-hmm. The cost of running the business is a third of what it would be in New York and maybe a quarter of what it would be in San Francisco. And ultimately, uh, our partners that we work with are going to typically be based in New York or D.C., um, so when we are selling to properties, that's where we have to go. Yeah. And if we were in San Francisco, we would be based in an area where the actual market we serve is not one we would make a lot of money in. Yeah. And we'd have to be launching offices in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. So we've been very happy from a business standpoint, 
but from a capital raising standpoint, let me hold it. Yep. Let me. I want. I do want to transition to that, but but I can't let you go. I can't. We can't move on without giving a big shout out to Philly because I I I didn't mean to in, at all suggest that Philly isn't a great place to run a business, and I think those are just some excellent points you made. Super inexpensive, great place to live. Young people like being here and really at the center of the biggest markets in the U.S. So that's, I think, a, a point's worth worth making. Yes. Okay. So now the actual mechanics, like actually how do you get the cash in the bank? Give us some advice and what, what you guys did, what the challenges were, and, and what advice you'd give. So I think for us, as I mentioned, the biggest challenge was probably going to raise out of market um, it was wonderful. We did have some local Philly investors, but mm-hmm. ultimately the check size is a bit smaller here here in Philly, and we knew we had to go to New York and San Francisco. Um, I would say for us, it was really about finding investors who understood the business and had a very clear fit. Real yeah. estate is not a popular space for people to invest in. It's only recently become a bit hotter with WeWork or Compass. Um, and in general, we've had a lot of sex with pe- uh, success with people who um, actually have a background in real estate or real estate tech. And I think we spent a lot of time pitching folks who were unfamiliar with this space. And Mm. I think we always thought we could turn people on Mm. it. And ultimately, even people who had failed real estate exits and would say they weren't entirely interested actually turned much easier than really anyone who, you know, isn't familiar with the space and wants to do something more in, you know, deep tech and just doesn't think, you know, real estate tech is is a place you can make money. So for us, uh, you know, I would recommend really focusing on people who have a knowledge of what you're doing if it's uh, something that's not in fashion. Mm-hmm. And also for us, it was just really important to know what the big questions were. And as I mentioned, it was around, you know, are people going to pay you and how big does this get? And those are the things we continue to have to prove on every single round. We don't get asked a lot of different questions. So we <laughs> just fixate heavily on those two and put blinders on for everything yeah, else. Yeah. Actually, great advice. I'm going to just underscore it, which is a little bit of pre-qualification on those investors and finding people who are familiar with how the industry works and that there is money to be made. That's really good advice. You could waste a lot of time pitching to people who who won't get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I w- wonder if you could talk a little bit about building the technology. Uh, you guys... You you start out by saying neither of you were 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 technical people who had built sites before, and that was one of the questions people asked. So how have you gone about getting that done? We are very lucky. Yeah. We have a technical co-founder. His ah. name is Andrew Mikowski. Yeah. He was getting his uh, PhD at Cornell at the time, and he mm-hmm. was Ushrit's good friend from undergrad. And he's a very good engineer. And the starting point for the site was Ushrit being able to spec out products really well. That is his background at TripAdvisor, handling landing pages and acquisition um, around landing page optimization. So we were able to put together a site, have Andrew um, get it live as yeah. fast as possible. And we realized things were working. There was a second connection, which is also unfair, which is uh, my older brother, Ross, uh, was transitioning out of his hedge fund, and he's an engineer. And we brought him on the team. Yeah. So... We've had two incredible engineers to start off the team, and we can be really efficient with how we use the talent there, focusing on what we think are the biggest changes for the business. Mm -hmm. So that really means making the recommendations really robust, um, improving, as I mentioned, that inventory onboarding to make it really efficient, getting really good proprietary and local data on the site, um, and then generally making sure that as we build new tools, they are things that 
help make the customer experience better and the conversion better at the end of the funnel. Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, that's super interesting and a great story. And it's so awesome to see you guys doing so well. So thanks so much for coming in the studio and taking the time. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. You can visit Very Apt online, veryapt.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.